Welcome to the One Question Podcast, brought to you by Wabi Sabi Studios. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, and I love having unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. It's a huge passion of mine, so much so that I wrote a few books a while back that challenge people's notion on living a life more unconventionally. This entire podcast stems around one question. If there was one topic you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? People need to come together and interact with one another to learn about oneself, the society, the world. And that's why I think the place of the university and the value of higher education comes in. This is not something AI can easily replace. Lilia Mantai is a senior lecturer at the University of Sydney's Business School. She is an educationalist with experience in learning design and curriculum development. Her job is to make sure that business programs deliver relevant skills and learning outcomes. Until recently, her research concerned academic development and career progression, PhD training and graduate skills. Now, though, with the surge of AI and its proliferation in the higher education sector, particularly this year since ChatGPT came into our lives, she is interested in what AI skills we need to develop at university today to prepare our students for tomorrow. Lilia thinks about how AI can help us do better education, how education needs to change, and what higher education might look like in the future. Born in Kazakhstan, And raised in Russia and Germany, Lilia describes herself as endlessly curious. It was unsurprising then that we both met by chance in a queue at the South by Southwest Sydney conference, where we chatted about the future of education, topic that I love to learn more about. I've been looking forward to diving deeper into that conversation topic more with Lilia. So let's meet her on the podcast today. Lilia, how lovely it is to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much, Michelle, for having me. And I'm uh, really happy and excited to join you on beautiful Wangal country. Just wanted to acknowledge the traditional owners of this beautiful country I live on. Oh, how fabulous. Let's kick in. If there was one thing that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? Oh, for me, that is certainly how AI will change our education in the near future, but in the far, far future as well. So it's a topic that lots of people are talking about. And obviously you and I being at, uh, you know, a major conference like South by Southwest recently, there was so many conversations around AI. How did you get into this space, Lilia? Because obviously for those of us that aren't in this world, it's kind of really exploded in the last year or so. You know, we're coming up a year now that ChatGPT sort of, you know, burst onto the scene. How did you get into this space, particularly in the education sector? I I guess the passion for education really started in, you know, early days, really. I lived quite an interesting life, as in I was born in Kazakhstan, I grew up in Russia and Germany, and so I traveled through different education and, and cultural systems and experienced different ways of learning and teaching, which already sparked quite an interest in how we actually do this stuff. And then I also firsthand experience the the power of education and the transformative effect of education because if anything you enrich your mind so much and it gives you 
different perspectives, different things to think about. Traveling through different cultural contexts of the world, you really understand to see the world from different perspectives. And I think what education gives you is that critical muscle to actually question what you experience, what you see, what you observe, and why things happen in a certain way in different countries for different people. And so I was just always really interested in what we can do through education. And so it was a no-brainer, really, that I stayed. I never really left the university. And I transitioned from being a learning and teaching support to being a teacher, now a lecturer, then being a learning designer to doing academic development work, so working with other academic colleagues in improving our education and teaching and learning practice. And now the role I'm in right now is... I look at the sort of skills we need to develop in all of our degrees. So I'm at the University of Sydney Business School. I look after all our programs in terms of what are the learning outcomes? Are they still relevant? What are the skills that we need to develop? And are they still relevant for the future? And so looking at AI and what's currently happening, this is absolutely on the money for me because I need to understand where we're heading to, what our graduates need to prepare themselves for, Because essentially, we're here to serve them. We want to set them up for a fulfilling future, professionally and personally. And we need to understand what are the skills that they need. And we know that the future of work, the future of life will be all AI transformed in some way. And so we need to make our degrees relevant for that. And that's that's how I came to this. So fascinating. And this is the conversation you and I started, you know, in the queue, because it's an area that I've always found really interesting to me. I mean, one early education around, you know, Steiner schools and now Montessori and all these sort of spaces that are coming online really to navigate and teach kids differently. And I always kind of wished that I'd had a chance to go to one of those schools because I think I would have flourished even more. But in higher education, I knew I needed to go to university. I wanted to go to university, but I was such a entrepreneur from a young age that I was like, I'm not learning the stuff that I need to learn to get ahead in life and to run a business or to, you know, run a company or whatever. I knew that I had to get in and out as fast as I could. So I ended up doing a associate diploma. It was two years and I jammed it with so many different electives, like <laughs> the most that I could do, like any subject on, you know, I did nutrition, I did photography, I did all these extra things, to, you know, to really kind of boost that, I guess, and because I am a voracious learner. But what always struck me was, is this system changing? Do we have to take three or four years to get, you know, a degree qualification when we can now learn stuff online so much faster? And so how are universities and schools and things keep keeping up? So I think that's a bigger question to begin with. And then I'll get into all the micro questions I have around that, Lilia. <laughs> that's a big question. That makes me think of creativity and how we develop creativity and creative thinking, out-of-the-box thinking at school and how we do that at university. It's a big, big focus in our AI conversation. What will it do to our creativity? Some say it will kill it because it does everything for you. But I actually think that it will empower us to do more and to bring out the creative spirits of all of us. But I think to your point around universities, there are creative ways now that we can learn new things. That's right. And it always makes me think when we talk about creativity, it always makes me think of the one TED talk by Sirkin Robinson, probably everyone knows. Do schools kill creativity, right? 
it should have the same status as literacy and numeracy and education. And I think that's something that we absolutely need to hone into with AI. It will really empower those who haven't had that outlet yet or don't have the right tools at their disposal. What is the value and purpose of our education? Traditionally, it was centered on creating an educated workforce and promoting critical thinking and advancing research, especially in the university context. I think now higher education, we're preparing students for a rapidly changing world, for a complex world, and really emphasizing the ability to adapt and continue learning because that's what we'll have to do. We'll have to constantly pivot, adapt, relearn, unlearn, upskill, retrain, and be you know, what I call critical citizens in this world. We need to remember that learning is inherently a social process and it's a social experience. So just to get a nerd on for a bit here, Vygotsky emphasizes that social interaction is key in the process of meaning-making. Bandura talks about how we learn by observing and modeling, even without a teacher. And Dewey, these are all, you know, educational theorists, advocated for experiential learning and learning by doing. And simply put, Basically, people need to come together and interact with one another to learn about oneself, the society, the world. And that's why I think the place of the university and the value of higher education comes in. This is not something AI can easily replace. Those are human elements. I think universities and teachers are organized in ways that kind of shape and facilitate that learning process. And it helps, of course, hugely if the learner develops some emotional connection with the people and the learning matter. But we've kind of gone maybe a little bit too fancy in education by overcomplicating things. So you asked earlier how universities are already redesigning education, and it might have been very different from your experience. But today, we incorporate so much technology in the classroom. We offer much more interdisciplinary learning. We provide real-world problem-solving experiences. We work with industry and other partners and tackle social issues. We bring social, big social problem into the classroom where students are workshopping solutions, ideas, and they pitch to industry. There's so much exciting stuff happening at the university. And there is obviously an increased focus on skills that machines cannot easily replicate. Creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, these are the things that AI will not easily replace, at least not in the near future, and we really need to harness. So university is doing all the right stuff already, but I think in the next five to ten years, we really need to ramp our game. It's interesting because one of the things that we really connected on was about the fact that you your job is to redesign these courses and degrees. And I've always been fascinated, you know, like talking, I've had a number of senior sort of teachers on the show before and how hard and arduous and how long it takes to change like a curriculum in school. So I'm curious from a university aspect of getting into the nitty gritty of that, especially in the space that you're working in, in AI, because you're not going to be able to be slow. <laughs> like this stuff is changing daily. You know, I listen to the Pivot podcast, which is one of my favorite kind of, you know, tech podcasts from Silicon Valley, and they come out twice a week. And the speed and the change of which stuff's happening is just amazing. So how do you keep up with that, Lilia? Like this stuff is changing as we're going and they're in a two or three or four year degree. Like how do you navigate that? Yeah. Oh, that's an excellent question. And you might know that higher education is quite structured and regulated, and there are 
so many quality assurance mechanisms in place to make sure that we deliver education that is equitable, quality, relevant, and sustainable in the long run. TEXA, for example, our national government body prescribes certain parameters within which we can design our education. So we report regularly to TEXA. We have national internal quality assurance bodies that keep an eye out on what we do in our programs, how we redesign. But what's of particular interest to me is the process of redesign. And I really am proud of how our university and many other universities work with so many diverse partners in developing education that's relevant, that's quality, and is really addressing the future needs of the nation. And so we work with industry, government representatives, we bring in NGO members, we bring in students, alumni, prospective students, and we talk to lots of these people and really bring out their ideas of what they think this program should do, how we should deliver the education, what are the learning outcomes, what's the purpose of this program. And we really synthesize all those perspectives and we come up with a design that suits the different needs and addresses the pain points perhaps that the previous program design has revealed. So it's quite a collaborative process to make sure that we deliver quality education. And working in the AI space that is, you know, a very fast-moving developing changing area how like if you are in class and you're teaching your students you know all around AI and the the pace of which this is changing and developing how do you navigate that you know because it wouldn't be like an accounting degree that is probably relatively similar for many many years you know that curriculum probably hasn't changed a lot but this space is I would imagine complex and hard to kind of you know wrangle when we review, when we have those review conversations, whenever I meet my, my colleagues, really, we talk about how this particular piece of assessment or this particular learning content is still relevant. And so there's a constant update on case studies, for example, they use in their learning and teaching. There is a constant update on the assessment tasks. And with the rise of AI, there was a big shift in how universities approach assessment practice. And our university, for example, suggested a two-lane approach, which meant some of the assessments will be using AI, some won't, to make sure that it was really the student's work. But overall, as a sector, higher education is really embracing working with AI and getting students to incorporate that in their learning. And I think that's really exciting. And I think that's where we need to move into, because the possibilities of AI for learning are endless. I imagine the future of our education to be much more personalized, for example, much more flexible. You can, you should be learning anytime, anywhere, on demand. It should be catered and tailored to your needs. Imagine how many more learners we could bring in. People who currently don't have time for it, just don't have the space for it. Or can't afford, I guess, it's having those, you know, affordability options as well and accessibility, isn't it? You know, AI should be able to mitigate some of those challenges previously. I think that AI has the potential to help us design education that will make the commute to university worth it. Or if someone's taking education online, it should be worth for them to pull away from the family, to pull away from Netflix, to pull away from the couch. 
it needs to be so engaging and so meaningful and so relevant that they go, yes, I want to do this. It shouldn't be something that they do just to get a piece of paper. A lot of the you know, the rock stars these days, you know, of the tech space, a lot of those kind of spruik about the fact that they haven't had higher education, that they, you know, went off and they've kind of taught themselves and they had a crack here and they, you know, watched a few YouTube videos or whatever. I mean, what's your view of that in terms of how to entice younger people to actually have higher education to your point about, you know, I love the thing you said at the start around that flexing that muscle, you know, using learning you're flexing the muscle all the time, which is, you know, I'm a voracious learner, but I'm a curious soul. So that's just me innately, but not everyone's like that. I think we are competing with universities and academies that are built in-house by big companies. You know, we know of the Hamburger University, Volkswagen University in, in, in Germany, you name it. There's so many different upskill, reskill professional development programs in-house. And I think we're competing with those as well. They're made very, very relevant to the job that people are on. So we are competing with those as well. We're also competing with lots of people who have years and years of expertise, professional experience, real-life experience in a particular area that are able to offer education to anyone online. We've had Online platforms like Udemy, Skillshare, you know, all the MOOC platforms for a long time. Anyone can go and offer a course education, right? So for me, really the key is how do we make ourselves relevant? I think we need to remember that the university brings people together and that's the real clue. We build families, communities around learning. And I think that's what people come or should come to us for. I think the value of the university degree is still not necessarily in the piece of paper because some companies not necessarily don't necessarily value it the same way they used to maybe a decade ago, but it's in that bringing that community of learners together, but also developing bigger skills than what's needed to keep someone employable and maintain that employability. It's what I call critical citizenship. It's developing those skills that will help you to continue learning. So that idea of lifelong learning, understand that you do need to develop your mindset. And I think people also come to us because they develop personally. We know that some of the skills that we, we say that we're teaching are actually developed just because students come to campus and interact with others. So just doing that time on campus, so to speak being organized in this way, coming together in this way. They learn a lot of things. They network, they meet others, they understand, they work with diverse cultural perspectives, people from very different backgrounds. And I think that's where the value of university education still persists and will keep on going. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And I think that, you know, the whole around travel and learning about other cultures for me is, you know, it's the university of life as I've always called it. So, you know, being on campus and the diversity around campuses is just fabulous these days. I'm curious, obviously with ChatGPT that's come online and all people were freaking out about like the kids using it for, you know, writing their essays and, you know, their work and stuff. How are you, how are you navigating that space? Because you're saying, obviously, you guys are embracing it. But how do you manage, you know, the use of AI and keeping, I guess, a step ahead of students that might not be doing the right thing 
with these you know new programs yeah the first approach was a very natural response oh no we need to shut this down we need to protect what's ours we are the ones who are in charge we know what's true learning we are the ones teaching and all of a sudden there is this ai tool that can tell anyone anything they want to know in an instant and no one is ever learning alone anymore and so that was a real seismic shift in the higher education sector but in a sense We've kind of recovered quite quickly from there and we adjusted our response to be, actually, there are so many opportunities, let's embrace those. And while we're still in a space where we're focusing on designing assessment where students cannot cheat, we really need to think bigger. What are the skills that we need to teach for the future where AI is absolutely integral and where it can really propel us to higher levels of thinking. Using ChatGPT, we ask much better questions, much broader questions. We open our scope of thinking, and importantly, we ask uncomfortable questions, just because it prompts us to think and consider diverse perspectives. And I love that. I think that's, that's fabulous. It helps us train and really stretch that inquiry muscle, and I think that's great. How does that apply to what you do every day with, you know, creating a degree around this? So, Lilia, that's what I'm still, you know, trying to grapple with. How do you educate people to do that when this is, you know, moving at such a fast pace? Mm. It's constantly trying to think of ways to integrate it. At every step of the way, I basically ask myself, how could I pull it in to provide me with a bigger, better answer? How can it do a job for me that really pushes me further? Because if it does the same for me, then it will do that for my students, especially if it's a boring task and something really sucks the light out, a life out of me. I ask myself, how can AI help me right here? And starting to think with it and really make the most of that. And that's how we need to approach this in, in our education as well. So there won't be a need to run a massive literature search because it can do that for you in a minute. So you can immediately jump to higher levels of thinking and actually look at the analyze, synthesize insights, come up with something new, put it in a different perspective, question. You can start questioning what it spits out and you have to because currently it's not at that level where it's completely unreliable. We need to be really careful. We need to double check the sources because it lies. <laughs> it does lie. And there's, there's real strong bias as well in particular areas you've got to be careful of. Exactly. And that's the risks of, of AI, but it is developing and it will get better. And so we need to understand the technology, how to make the most of it now, but also understand that it will keep evolving and it will get better. Mm. There's a notion around the lecture is dead. What's your view of that? I love that sentence. I think it's been dead forever. <laughs> I think it's been dead for a long time, actually. I think COVID killed it for us in the first place. And now with the rise of AI, it's made it completely irrelevant. We already had a situation where students didn't turn up to classes or the big, big lectures because it's not engaging. It's not how we learn. At my university and lots of universities worldwide, we designed for active learning. So before the lecture was dead, there was the idea of the flipped classroom. By that, we mean that we put the lecture content in chunked 
bite-sized kind of bits online on the learning management system. Every university usually has one of those. And students could watch that or engage with that in their own time. But then when they turned up to class, it was all about interactivity. They would engage in group discussions, talk about what they've seen and watched at home, and really um, use that time to engage students together. Mm, Makes sense. I mean, for me, a lecture is basically like a keynote presentation. Like it's why do we go to conferences and see people do keynote speeches or why is TED, you know, such an amazing kind of concept and online and why people watch all these videos. It's because they talk about interesting topics that we want to learn about or that changes our view on a particular area. You know, that's a part of it as well, which is part of learning. And they do it in an engaging and interesting way. There are people that are better speakers than others. Absolutely. Content that's better than others. Like why couldn't lecturers take that kind of stand and, you know, say, okay, guys, like you can't just stand up there and talk about drivel, you know, for an hour. Like clearly the numbers, the students are speaking with their feet, they're not turning up. Like, how do you get them to be more like a keynote speaker? I'm a big fan of TED and similar style keynotes presentations. The thing is that those kind of things take a lot of time, a lot of energy, and not everyone's suitable to deliver a really stimulating, inspiring talk. And we need to cover ground. We have a lot more students. We have the scale we need to work with. And we cannot have engaging speakers in all our classrooms. It just doesn't suit everyone academics style, right? So that's one thing. But why not use those speakers and deliver that education where we can? Like why not pull those resources into our education design and those who can do that best, let them use their magic. And universities are doing that. We're not just using what we have in-house. We are drawing on all the different resources out there and trying to bring them in to make it engaging. It's really the scale, I guess, is the the answer to why that this is not happening, understanding that it just takes a lot of resources, energy, etc. And also, imagine having a TED Talk three times a day, every week, for three years throughout your degree. It might lose that in inspiring, stimulating touch. I think there, there's times and times and people, we know that for people to actually learn and retain the learning, they need to actually actively engage with the content. And so we do need to provide spaces where students actually discuss, debate, work with others. Yeah, no, definitely. I think there's, uh, you know, in your your point about flipping the classroom is really valid. I think that's that should be happening. But it's a fascinating topic. It's really interesting. I think you've got so much going on in this area, Lilia, and you, uh, you know, are well-placed. The fact that, you know, you've come from a fascinating background, you speak multiple languages, you know, like your kind of skill set and your uh, voraciousness around learning yourself is um, put you in a great spot like to be able to you know bring this to life and to provide the the uh, you know the right courses of the future for people thanks Michelle I would love to hear from you what would bring you to education today what would make you come to campus today yeah such a good question the course content needs to be something that I couldn't really learn anywhere else. Uh, It's got to be compelling enough and maybe the lecturer being 
the top of their game. You know, so someone like Brene Brown, if she was going to do a course in your university, I would go for that because she's engaging, she's interesting, she's compelling, she's thought-provoking, she makes me think differently about stuff, but she's teaching you all the time. And so I want to learn, I want to interact, I want to be challenged. I don't want to pay a ton of money for that. And it needs to be flexible in the sense of because I've got this whole other life that I've got to fit this in with. I don't know if that's helpful, but there's some feedback for you. <laughs> that's really interesting because it confirms the idea that we're working with that really guides our design of our education. And good news for you is that universities are absolutely aware of this kind of scenario that's going on for many. And currently what's happening, a lot of universities moving into the digital education space because that's where they see the value and real opportunity to cater for students The thing is also that the learning never really stops. You're not only learning when you come to university, you learn all the time in formal and informal settings. But what you just said, you know, you enjoy the experience of university and having a community and seeing the rock stars talk and give really inspiring talks. And we're doing all of that. I think the future is actually quite bright in the higher education if we really learn to embrace the opportunities and mitigate the risks that of course come with AI and there will be a bit of a learning curve but I think we're definitely universities are definitely working hard to emphasize all the aspects that AI cannot replace and that's you know fostering human connection collaboration deep critical inquiry so being really really stimulating to think deeper yeah and like the point you said earlier as well it's around life skills You know, I'm a massive advocate. You finished high school at 18 here in Australia and you're young to go into university from then. So, you know, getting out and going, having a gap year, doing a bit of work, whether it's in a cafe or a, a job that you're half interested in to see what it's like on the inside and then travel for a couple of months if you can afford to do so, you know, that's the best way to kind of come out of that high school element and then to come back and then do, you know, whether it's two, three, four, five, ten years <laughs> of higher education, I think, you know, the maturity element coming out of university, you know, 23, 24, what you've learnt, you know, from life as well as through school. And, again, a massive advocate. It's expensive to live now, so it's great for young people to have a part-time job. I mean, I had three jobs when I was at university because I couldn't afford to live out of home and not work part-time in all those skills that we need to learn and hopefully that universities can help with that. Yeah. And Michelle, can I just share a wild idea? When people ask me, how do you imagine higher education in 50 years' time? I'm thinking there might not be universities around anymore. Sorry, university. I can imagine that in the future we have something like a learner-to-learner kind of setup where people who have enormous life experience and professional expertise in a particular area decide they want to impart that knowledge onto others and really share what they know and what they've learned throughout life. Again, not something easily replaced by AI. We are becoming older as a global society, and that's a concern. And I think we're not doing very well in integrating our elderly communities. Yeah, I'd agree. So much knowledge, wisdom, so much to offer. And why not give them an opportunity to really teach life experience and part that education? So there might be something like that 
you and I could chat about this forever. It's been so lovely to connect with you again. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And I look forward to seeing these uh, wonderful, incredible new courses that you are continually creating at the University of Sydney. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks so much for having me. Well, there you have it. Wasn't that an incredible conversation? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you. If you did like it, can I ask a small favour? Please rate and review on your listening platform for me. I know everyone asks this, but it seriously makes a difference to help get these conversations out in the world and makes all the hard work and effort I put into this for you all the more worthwhile. And until next time, if you have one question you'd like to ask me, hit me up on my socials or jump on my website, michellejcox.com. Thank you.